Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats my face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The China Shop. I'm your host, Kyle, and this week I've got our second jubilant J guest in Jaden Sterling joining me. Jaden, also known as the Spiritual Money Guy, is the creator of the Sterling Stock Picker. But before we dive into today's discussion, I'd like to just take a minute to thank our sponsors and friends at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and Orderflow Labs. Manscaped is the best below-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. With those holidays coming up, now's the perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2Bulls at manscaped.com. As always, that's the number two. And when it comes to institutional quality trading education, be sure to check out tradeproacademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll also find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. And for all those degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to check out the custom tools and studies at Orderflow Labs. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, you can learn more about today's guest at sterlingstockpicker.com, or you can check out his international best-selling book, The Alchemy of True Success. And lastly, be sure to reach out to us with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at tubulls at financialadeptitude.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Be sure to put all those links in the episode description as well. Now that we got all that stuff out of the way, let's get to know today's guest. Jaden, how are you doing today? Hey, Kyle, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. I can't believe I got through all that in one take. That was excellent. <laughs> like, flawless, man. You even said aficionado without skipping a beat. That was great. Oh, there's so many J's in there, too. I was sure I was going to trip up on that. <laughs> Jaden, why don't you uh, tell the listeners about yourself? And uh, thank you, too, by the way, for joining us. Oh, sure. Happy to. So I I actually had an epiphany at 14, Kyle. You know, if you've ever had a a time in your life where it's like time stands still. And mm-hmm. this is exactly what I experienced. Time stood still. And I found uh, that I knew three things. I don't know if I was told it or I just felt it deep inside, but it was a clear knowing. And uh, the first thing I was told that I'd be speaking on stages around the world, that I'd be talking about money and how people can be empowered by it, not enslaved by it. And the third thing I was told is that I would be teaching from personal experience, not a book I read or a course that I took. Hmm. So that, I mean, can you imagine 14 where your whole life purpose is like downloaded to you? And um, that actually ended up uh, setting the stage for my entire life. It's why I went to school at American University and studied economics. It's why I worked on Wall Street for 10 years during my 20s. And then after that, built a $12.5 million investment company. So I've had a lot, a huge education around finance, um, money. The most 
I learned was during the time when I lost millions of dollars. Isn't that funny how that works? <laughs> I know it, man. It was not uh, not the best time of my life, but certainly the most uh, powerful in terms of the education. And you know, I realized at the end of the day that that a few things, um, not so much from the education I got at Merrill Lynch and Citigroup, because they just taught me how to diversify clients' mm-hmm. portfolios. What I learned really were from my client, multimillionaire clients who came in and Kyle, they had six or seven stocks, a handful of stocks in their portfolio. So it was individual companies, very focused, hundreds of thousands of dollars in each company, different sectors. But this is back in the early 90s where it was John Deere and you know some big, big names. IBM back then was, was one of their holdings. So I recognized wow, that was a powerful way to build wealth through concentrated portfolios. You know, once someone gets into a brokerage firm or a bank, they do their best, that banker or broker, it can be a great person. But from my perspective as an insider, they're taught to sell concentrated positions and then buy you know, mutual funds and package products and CDs and unit investment trusts and things that have very high internal fees. Mm-hmm. So I learned early on, Kyle, that the business is situated to make money off of their clients, not for their clients. And a lot of them get uh, get some kind of bonuses, Huge. don't they, for the, the, the products that they Absolutely. recommend? Mutual funds being the number one easy to sell product that they're bonused on. And it's tracked. It's called Velocity. So brokerage firms actually track the turnover in a client's portfolio. And which I thought was interesting. It's like, wow, I'm getting these reports on how much I'm buying or selling for a client rather than how well a client's portfolio is performing. Very different. So are you anti-mutual fund in just the respect of like somebody trying to manage your money and picking them for you or or altogether? I think mutual funds... Products like mutual, first of all, I am so anti-mutual funds. It's it's not even funny. <laughs> I, I like, noticed. <laughs> you know, and, and now the funny thing is, so Morningstar is the rating agency for mutual funds. And Morningstar interviewed all their managers and said, hey, um, what percent of you, this was in um, like 2010, what percent of you actually own shares of your mutual fund who you that you manage? And it was one and a half percent. Like, oh can God. you imagine one and a half percent said I actually own it? And and then they said, well, why is that? What's the reason that the very fund that you manage, you don't invest in? And they said, they're, Kyle, God's honest truth, word for word, their response was, because we can get better returns elsewhere. Wow. So you go, hmm, okay, if they don't even believe in their product, why should anyone be investing in those? And so, yes, hugely anti-mutual funds. What I do like are... For the right investor, maybe the small investor getting into things is uh, ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Yes. They're much more concentrated. You know, typically they'll have 10 to 20 different stocks in there, not hundreds. So, uh, and then less internal management fees. So the structure of it is set up that maybe, you know, a client can experience some success. So I'm I'm good with those. Um, And then index funds, I actually like. If there's not an index mutual fund, but an index ETF that has uh, similar returns as the index that, that it tracks, I, I think are great. So, uh, but that being said, the 
we had a high school teacher join um, as a subscriber in our software two, two years ago. And he said, you know, I, I love my job. I love the kids I teach. He teaches high school math. And he said, but I don't see myself doing this forever. Like there's got to be light at the end of the tunnel. And he said, I think financially, I have to do better than what, what I'm getting with the bank that I work with. And I said, okay, well, just get started with, you know, started with um, our software and the extent that you dive in will, will yield the results that you get. So like, if you really, you know, do your homework, jump into this, embrace it, um, you're, you're going to do great. And he said, all right, I'll do that. So he did. He spends an hour each morning. Kyle, he turned $7,500 into 100000 in six months. That's got to be uh, not the norm, well, though, right? Well, it's life-changing money, but it is the norm for people who want to invest their time and have have something to help them with their investments. That's pretty normal. We mm-hmm. see we see really good returns uh, with our software, like 30 to 100% is common. And I'm not even afraid to say that, that it is common because that's what our subscribers get with the software. So we've structured it in a way to help people, even novice investors. He was brand new to investing. Um, obviously he caught fire, you know, we got super excited because right away that 7,500 turned into 27,000. And, and that got him passionate and super involved in his investments. And that's what I liked because what I noticed, whether I was working for Merrill Lynch or Citigroup, and then really when I got out of the business, Ultimately, you're responsible for your money. You can't advocate responsibility to a bank or a broker and think that you're going to get great returns. It's just not how the system's set up. The system is, is like I mentioned, is set up to make money off of investors, not for investors. So once an investor recognizes that, okay, I need to take this money conversation in my own hands and do something in my behalf, then you start to change your relationship with money and it improves. It actually gets better because money's like, oh, hey, you're finally noticing me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. You're you're actually giving me the time of day. We're actually spending time together. So that's what I've seen is, is a real interesting correlation between people who become interested in their finances and then the results that they get. I think one of the things that keeps people from doing that or for seeking out experts is just they don't know where to start. And there's such a, it's such a hard time trying to find good information that you can trust when you're first starting out. Yeah. And you know, the system is set up for that because a lot of the industry is in acronyms. It's confusing for people. Yeah. It's almost like a secret code. It is code, totally right? a secret code. It's, it's, it's a good old boys club, you know, and, and we're not in that club. We're outside of it. And so as an investor who is starting out, we have to we have to navigate. You have to navigate your way through that and go, all right, I know there's something called the stock market that I keep hearing about and it keeps going up. So how do mm-hmm. I take advantage of that? How do I get into the game? And you're right. For And that's why our software, uh, our tagline is um, you don't have to be an expert. Even if you're a novice, you don't have to be an expert at investing. We take care of that for you. So, so it's like it, we give them... You know, have you ever have you ever played um, like duck pin bowling where you've got the little bumpers down the alley so you don't end up in the al- the gutter, right? You got to, yeah, oh, right, right. Um, yeah, we give that 
for our folks. So we give a clear streamlined process for people to find great stocks to invest in that will to buy at the right time. And that's the key, right? Finding great companies at the right price. So yeah, it's, it's uncommon for someone to have expectations if they're invested with a banker or broker and expect to outpace the market. Even professionals say that they'll be like, well, don't expect to do, you know, better than the markets. Keep your expectations low. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy making. That would be like, you know, telling your, your teenage son growing up, hey, don't expect to be great in this lifetime. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, don't reach for great. You just keep plowing at average, you know, you just get, and it's like, no, you wouldn't ever say that to your kid. And so why do we do that with money? Why do we allow the industry to keep keeping us small, to keep telling us that we need to lower expectations with our returns that, you know, you can't get too wealthy in this market. And the reality is you can, you can grow your assets, it takes effort, takes a little bit of time and energy, but once you get the formula down and once you start to understand that it becomes a lifelong lesson, it actually becomes a way of being for people. I love the shift that someone makes when they don't, they stop paying attention to their money and then they start, right? They get right into the process because they become more confident. Obviously, their finances improve. Then, um, and you know, I just want to say to your point about that it's so uncommon for people. It's it is, and that's the shame that speaks to the industry that it's set up to for people to spend money to become consumers rather than wealthy, financially free individuals. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the software that you've been developing. Then sure. So, so what, what is like, I see that there's something in there that says that you can actually sort it by personal values too, that are built into that. So does that mean that you like, uh, ethical investing, I think is the term. Uh, it's even deeper than that. So we have 31 personal values in our software. And when someone selects a personal value, like abundance or health or, uh, well-being, uh, like you say, ethical investing, integrity is a, is another value. Each company that we track, we track 60,000 stocks in North America and other parts of the world are correlated with personal values based on what that company stands for. Mm -hmm. So it actually sorts through all of those companies. And then out of the 60,000, we actually only show 16,000 companies because there's a lot of companies out there that are not worth people's investment dollars. Either they're mismanaged or they're not actively traded or they're getting ready to delist or something's going on with that company that is not even worth someone's time or energy. So that's part of our sorting process is first we take out the ones that that aren't even worth uh, a second look. And then the ones, the 16,000 that are worth a second look are correlated with values. They're also correlated with an investor's risk tolerance. And we just have a simple 13 questionnaire um, five, it takes an investor five minutes to work through, it spits out their risk tolerance score. And then the software then is geared towards showing them stocks that are in alignment with their risk tolerance. So they're always investing in companies that they'll be able to sleep at night with. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So is there other uh, filters that you can play around with too, or is that something that your software does for the investor? There are. There are other filters. You can filter by our North Star ranking, which we created. That's what we're 
Our utility patent is pending right now. We've created a one to five star system that uh, one is a sell ranking, five is a buy, and it looks at a company's financial metrics, fundamental metrics, and then technical indicators. So we've correlated that with the stocks that we follow and our North Star ranking five star stocks are in the previous 12 months are actually outperforming sectors by over 100%. Wow, that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I'm actually looking at, uh, I think that's on your, your uh, website here. The, we believe the previous in- 12, yeah, previous 30 days and previous 12 months. Yeah, we believe in transparency. We post our returns. They're updated on a daily basis, so anyone can see at any time how well our five-star stocks are performing against the respective sectors. And you know, so that gives our subscribers peace of mind of, okay, as long as I'm sticking with five-star stocks, they've already done all the math. They've already done all the checking into these companies. I don't have to do that. It just makes an investor's job so much easier. Now, what about for the people who do like to do with all that digging into? Like, How can this help them? Yeah, great question. So we actually show all the metrics on our website. Um, We show price to earnings ratios. We show earnings growth. We show insider activity. So how how interested they are with that, they can look at a lot or a little. Depends Mm -hmm. what someone wants to do. We also, on our chart, have uh, the moving averages, short, intermediate, and long-term SMAs and EMAs so that they can overlay those against the stock price if someone's interested in charting and the technical indicators. And then we show the money flow index, super uh, important metric, you know, when you decide to buy a stock. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just processing. That's right. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, so let's, how did this come about then? Like, how, like- Great question. Um, I created a, a course in 2017 um, called uh, Sterling stock system. And it was a system to teach investors how to buy and sell stocks, like what to look for, you know, how to, what websites to go to, because back then we didn't have the software. Right. And it ended up being a 12 page PDF and it was robust and, but it was a lot, it was overwhelming for people. So uh, one of my students said, you know, she was actually in the beta course, which started out in 2016. And she said, I love your course. It's been amazing. It totally transformed my life and how I invest. She moved her uh, portfolio out of a bank and into her own self-directed account. So she does calls all the shots now. And she said, could you create software out of this? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, huh, well, that's a great question. And I'm not a software guy, right? Like I'm I'm the investor guy, you know, I don't, I don't know how to program. I don't know how to do any of that. And I said, that is a great question. I said, I don't know, but let me find out. So I just sat with the idea. I just sat with it and I mulled it over and I went to sites like Upwork and tried to hire some programmers from Russia to create software, you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and then there's this language barrier and then the, you know, and then they didn't really quite get my vision. And then I realized, wow, I'm going to have to invest close to a million dollars into this if I really want to build this out the way I want to. So I just kind of tabled it. I put it off to the side, and but I always kept it in the back of my mind, you know, it kind of just noodled around back there, you know, like you have an idea where you like that idea, but you're not quite sure exactly how to make it happen. 
Yeah, the eating an elephant problem. Totally, totally yeah. the elephant challenge. And so I just kind of let it go, which is what I do um, I uh, with the universe, right? You just kind of let it go and see what comes back. And then a student of mine who was in one of my personal development classes years and years ago circled back with me and he said, hey, you know, um, he's a programmer, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he had a business with a friend of his who's a programmer. And he said, look, we've got a little downtime here. Do you have any projects you're working on? <laughs> and I said, oh, that's lucky. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, actually I do, you know, and I, and I explained the whole thing to him. And so we started working together in September of 2018. And now we're sitting here in December of 2022 with software that is rocking it. Like we just won a big award, SAAS award for best financial services company. Um, where our, our utility, our software is utility patent pending right now. And um, it's been amazing how far it's come and how many lives we've changed with, with empowering people to invest their own money. I'm curious if your, uh, your course is still online somewhere. It is. The, the 12 it page is. PDF. Cause I'd love to look through that. Oh, the 12. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm happy to send it to you, actually. Um, uh, all of our students still get that PDF, but we've simplified the entire process. It makes it uh, um, not even necessary anymore because of the software. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Still fun to the, I, I like to see what goes into making something work personally. Oh, I'm happy to send it to you. Yeah. As long as your eye, if your eyes don't glaze over, then you you win a star. Right. <laughs> you get our gold star award. <laughs> if you don't fall asleep while you're looking at it. Right. <laughs> so uh, there's there's a couple other things I wanted to kind of touch on with you while I got you here. Um, one is the nickname, the spiritual money guy that you've been, you've been given. And I think we can kind of hear a little bit of it in, in the background that you've been describing, but can you kind of uh, talk a little bit more about the, the, the mentality that you have and, and how you came to that? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to. So um, I, I, I look at financial investments from a very different vantage point than most. Most people are very linear in their thinking and, and we're taught this, right? We're taught to, you know, consider, consider an investment carefully and, you know, run the risk reward scenarios and do the plus and minuses. And it's a, that is all um, a, a very heavy, uh, intense mind conversation where ego is, right? Our ego mm-hmm. is in our conscious thinking mind. And ego can trip us up no matter how great the numbers look. Ego can interject and say, ah, you're, this isn't good for you. Or, you know, why do you think you're going to make money with this when you haven't made money in the past? Or there's all kinds of these different belief systems that uh, run through someone's mind when you're making an investment. And um, I was plagued with that. I was 31 years old, retired from Citigroup, um, million dollars in the bank. And I kept hearing this thing in my head going, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. And I was like, it almost drove me nuts, Kyle. Honestly, huh. I, I was like, I can't get this out of my head. And, and reality showed that actually I wasn't. I was actually doing pretty well and situated really well financially and a good person. And like, I wasn't what my ego kept telling me. So I went into a very deep spiritual practice with a shaman. I worked with her for six years. And she helped me get out of, it's basically, I was able to lose my mind and come to my senses. (laughs) I like that phrase. Yeah. So I got out of my head, dropped down into my heart. Heart is where our higher self lives. It's where our truth resides. 
and everyone knows this because if you've ever had a moment where you knew something, you just knew something, right? You knew maybe you met your spouse and you just knew you were meant to be with that person. Mm-hmm. Or not. Some people have it the other way, like, oh, I didn't right. marry that knucklehead. <laughs> right? So that's the intuition talking and whether or not we follow, it's a whole nother story. But um, so I learned early on, well, not, it took me, a, it was a journey, a six year journey with the shaman to you know, right. get into that. Um, but I actually, I ended up being able to, uh, I think I mentioned, I built a, uh, an investment company, twelve and a half million dollar investment company in seven years through the process that I now teach, which is I could stand in front of an apartment building. I basically bought, um, apartment buildings, mixed use properties and commercial real estate. And I ended up being able to stand in front of a building. If my body moved forward, I knew that property was for me. It was meant I was meant to buy it and it was for my highest and best. If my body moved back, I knew it wasn't for me. So it was like, I was almost muscle testing investments, you know, like you've heard right. probably people muscle test supplements or food or, well, you can do it with money too. You can do it with investments. So um, when I learned that, uh, you know, I realized, wow, that is just what a, so I trusted it. I relied on it and I ended up following through with buildings that were where I would lean into it, move forward. And it, I've always made money with those properties. Always. It was, it was situations that I would get into from, from my ego that I lost money. And I realized that, wow, there's this, there's this thing inside of us, inside of me, inside of you, inside of everyone listening that actually guides us in a way that's profitable, that's easy, and that we can rely on it. But we're not taught that, right? We're, we're simply not taught that. You're not, in fact, we're, it's probably the opposite. We're taught to think of things counterintuitively. Hmm. But, you know, you read some books from some pretty successful guys like uh, Richard Branson, uh, Steve Jobs, um, Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, founder and CEO of Starbucks. And in their books, they always weave in the idea of intuition and following into it. In fact, the latest book by Howard Schultz, he taught, I think I, I, I underlined every time he said the word intuition, it was 32 times in his book, <laughs> 32 times. And, you know, if someone wasn't keen to looking for a concept like that or in, invoking it in their own life, you'd probably miss it, right? 32 word intuition in a book of, I don't know, 10,000 words, how many right. words are in a book, right? But if someone is, is open to tuning into that intuitive guidance, that inner guidance, and it can be whatever you want to call it, a gut feeling or an inner GPS, whatever it is, it'll just, if you allow for it to guide you, what I have found, Kyle, is that I've always ended up on my feet. Like I've always uh, done well following that guidance. And I'll give you a little quick story. Can I, do we have time for a quick story? Oh yeah, we've got plenty of time. So I landed in, when I retired from Citigroup, I was out in Southern California and I moved to St. Petersburg, Florida. This was in uh, January of 2000. And that city at the time was beautiful waterfront city, right? Like just gorgeous, but no quality affordable housing. Hmm. Like all the affordable housing was relegated to, to really not the best areas. Like you wouldn't feel too comfortable walking there at night, you know? 
Right. Um, and I thought, well, this is a shame because then they had to bus people in to work at like the restaurants and the hotels and everything downtown. And I thought, you know, something told me on the inside, there's that intuitive piece again. I said, I, I'm going to start creating quality, affordable housing. Like the, the idea just came to me. I'm like, let's just, let's do that. And I didn't know how to do it. I, you know, I'm a stock guy, right? I worked on wall street for 10 years. Like how, what the heck? I didn't know nothing about <laughs> buildings and real estate right. and other than a couple of places I'd bought to live in, but nothing to this extreme. And uh, so I found a building. It was an eight unit apartment building. I really wanted to buy it. And I, all my money was tied up in investment. So I couldn't plunk down the down payment for it, but it was perfectly situated. It was like in a great neighborhood and it had huge potential. And I kept, I went back to some of, some of my friends that I knew uh, when I worked in Citigroup and they all said, well, you know, you're just getting started. You probably don't know what you're doing. I don't think so. Yeah. So it was just painful. It was a painful process. And I was like, oh no. And I, it was just a few hundred thousand dollars I needed, right? It wasn't a fortune. Right. Right. Um, but my contractor says, you know what? You've had a rough day. Why don't you come to a baseball game with me? And it was right. It was early on when, um, Tampa Bay, uh, St. Pete had a baseball field there. They still do a stadium and it was a Tampa Bay it used to be called devil rays. Then they dropped the word devil. So it was Tampa Bay rays. Now we know them as Tampa Bay Rays. So it was a dev- back then, though, the team was just starting out. So it, you, they were lucky to get 4,000 people a night at these games, right. right? So it was easy to get seats. That's what I'm trying to say. Easy to get seats. And I said, yeah, great. Let's do it. Well, little did I know, uh, he, we walk in the stadium, we go to a box, one of the boxes there, right? Like, um, and I was like, oh, well, this is kind of nice. Great seating, you know, and they bring you drinks and uh, appetizers and stuff. And then I find myself sitting next to this guy, he plunks himself down. And he goes, hi, I'm, what do you do? I, you know, who, like, who are you? What do you do? I've never right, seen right. you before. <laughs> and I said, oh, I introduced myself at Jaden Sterling, you know, and I said, I, I, and it, Kyle, it just flew out of my mouth, man. <laughs> I said, I develop quality, affordable housing in this city. you lied yeah yeah and he's like well that's interesting he said i'm the head of the how the the um i'm the head of the housing department for the city why don't you come to my office monday morning wow so i did like thank god this is the universe working right when you have a vision the universe will will create a situation so allows you to fulfill that vision that's my belief around money and the bigger vision you have, the bigger the money comes. So I ended up doing probably a half a dozen projects with the city. Um, he, I got grants. I got um, really amazing funding because um, they too wanted quality, affordable housing in that city because they knew there wasn't any. So we we're. It was just amazing how that worked out. You know, I ended up being able to buy that property. And it worked out better because of the grant. I didn't have an investor that I had to pay back. Right, right. So it actually worked out 10 times better for me um, following my inner guidance around the whole process. That, so sometimes, you know, when, you're, when you find yourself in a business dealing or something that you're wanting to do, and if you, if you keep getting doors shut in your face, it's because there's a way better elegant solution out there that is going to serve you so much better um, than what your ego is telling you. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
Well, you got to put yourself in positions to be able to have these opportunities present too, right? You do. You do. Absolutely. I have a formula I created. It's called people plus opportunities equal money. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Uh, do you think that uh, uh, some of, because uh, you mentioned like letting your intuition guide you, like leaning into a per, uh, property versus leaning away from it. That's like one that you want to purchase. Do you think that it, your mindset maybe is what is dictating uh, the success or failures of these these things? I love that. Like when you're, when you're unconsciously leaning into it, that means that like unconsciously you're on board with this. You're going to put the effort into it. You want this to succeed. Versus the opposite opposite direction. If you're you're already hesitating, then you already have doubts in your mind about the success of it. It's, it's such a valid point, Kyle. It's it's kind of like you know if you make up your mind that you're going to buy a certain make and model of car, mm-hmm. like you're going to buy a, a white Toyota, and all of a sudden you see white Toyotas everywhere, right? right. Like, like right. They're, they're in front of you, they're behind you, they're next to you. You're mo- you're you're drawn to a parking lot. And you see this white Toyota. It's like, well. The white Toyotas have always been there, but now you've told your mind, show me white Toyotas. Right. You've opened your mind to the to the, the possibility of their existence. That's exactly right. So you've opened it. That's how the conscious mind or the unconscious mind works is to show you what you want to be shown. So part of the mindset's critical, absolutely. And, and that is, that's almost like the road that your intuition drives down. Mm-hmm. If your mindset is situated in a way that your belief is that, you know, this, this whole process is going to be paved with ease and grace, with an abundance of opportunities along the way, not potholes, <laughs> not, <laughs> not eight lanes of traffic, right? Like you're, you're clear your mindset is solid and your belief is that you truly deserve that success, then your, your inner guidance system is the vehicle that's taking you down that highway. And also, that's, that also uh, affects the way that you perceive things like potholes and, and things like that, like things that would be to somebody who's more pessimistic, a setback is an opportunity for somebody else who's got the right mindset. Easy, easy to do, right? That's someone yeah. who wakes up, quote unquote, on the wrong side of the bed, which I don't even know quite what that saying means. But when they wake up on the wrong side, you know, and then they're like, oh, they stub their toe in the morning. And then, you know, the dog eats their lunch and like they have these series. And in their mind, they're going, well, of course, of course, it's going to go that way, right? Things, what is it? Luck comes. You've in. primed yourself. Yeah. You've primed yourself. You set yourself up for that. 
Um, I, I'll give you another example. I, um, uh, prior to meeting my wife and the kids, I had a Porsche, a convertible Porsche, and uh, I didn't get to drive it much because I was working so much and it sat in the garage. Mm-hmm. But one night I got a call and friends are like, hey, come downtown, have dinner with us. So I jumped in the car, drove downtown, and I backed into a parking spot in the garage and I heard a crunch. Oh. I know. And it was like one of those metal brackets around a down uh, a pipe, a plastic oh, pipe, yeah. a big metal. And the, the car sits low anyway. And this was lower. So anyway, it hit the bumper. And But you know what? I wasn't upset. I'm like, my belief is that everything happens for me, not to me. Mm-hmm. So I went to dinner. I don't even think I mentioned that it happened to my friends. When um, I got home that night, pulled in the garage, and I was guided toward the trunk because I'm looking at the bumper and I'm like, there's something here for me. What is it? And I just got the intuitive hit, pop the trunk. So I did. And with those cars, the oil pan, the dipstick is actually in the trunk. So yeah. I pull the dipstick out and it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> There's like no oil in the car. And, you know, if you run a car out of oil, we're talking a bigger issue, right? Like you just, it's toast. It's done, done for. And um, so I got oil in it and then drove it to the dealership and had an oil change. But you see, that's the process there. It's like, as long as you can look past the little, that yeah, it was expensive. The bumpers are, it was like three grand to fix the bumper, but at least I didn't have to write off the car. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's, that's the power of the positive attitude. Totally. Totally. Uh, I did want to ask because the, there is a trap that you can fall into with confirmation bias when you are like, when you, you mentioned the, the Toyota, the, uh, the white mm-hmm. Toyotas, when you prime yourself to look for white Toyotas and that's all you see. And then that makes you think that, Hey, those are more prevalent than, than if you hadn't been primed for that. So how, do you have, do you worry about like, do you worry about, is there a way to fight that, that confirmation bias worry? Like if I'm, if I think that this stock is going to go up, then I'm only going to see things that tell me the stock is going to go up and I'm not open to the, the opposite side mm-hmm. of the story. Great question. So if, if you're in alignment and attunement with that type of guidance, there's going to be something internally that you're going to feel when it's time to sell the stock. Like hmm. things just aren't going to feel right anymore. It's like, mm, okay, I've, I've reached the return that I wanted, either whatever that is, 30%, 50%, 100%, whatever that return is. And then something's going to happen where you're going to feel like something's off, you know, just something's hmm. not quite right. And that as long as you're always tuned into that guidance, when things start to not feel good, you know, there has to be a shift. Something has to change. Hmm. That's how I go about it. So when I start to go, mm, it doesn't feel right to me. It feels like, you know, maybe there's a down downturn coming or some profit taking. I notice my team shows me companies because I've geared my subconscious mind to bring me stocks that are going to double. Um, They'll show me a stock like just last month. They showed me grow generation. I, I, I feel like they tapped me on the shoulder. Literally, that's what it felt like at $3.56. Right. That used to be a $40 stock. Mm-hmm. And I forgot about it. I traded it a few years ago, completely forgot about it, um, had it off my radar. And then I just got the tap on my shoulder. Look up, look at like the ticker symbol dropped in my head and it was like, go grab it. Was it GRG? GRWG. GRWG. I think I've looked at that one before. <laughs> yeah. Great. Like 
organic fertilizer, you know, getting into mm -hmm. hydroponics, they're expanding rapidly, really solid company. And um, so today it hit eight, $8 a share in a mm -hmm. month. And I'm pleased with that return, you know, but this morning I just felt like, yeah, okay, they've had a good run. You know, maybe it's time to take some profit. So you don't use like technical analysis or anything like that to look for support and resistance levels? I do. I sure do. Um, but I look at it. I, I usually look at a 12 month chart when I'm considering taking a position on a stock. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I'm considering a buying or selling it, then I go to the day view and I look at the day chart with all the SMAs and EMA on there. And that's when I decide when to sell it. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through that process? Happy to. So on a, on a day chart, you're seeing the uh, each trade for that stock. And you're also seeing overlaid on that chart, the short-term uh, averages, the SMA and EMA. This is At least this is how our software is set up. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also show on that day chart, the MFI, the money flow index. So typically what happens is when a stock becomes overbought, meaning the money flow is above 70. The range on an MFI, as you know, is 100 to zero. Mm -hmm. When the MFI hits 70 to 100 for a few consecutive days, that's showing that the stock is overbought. Typically, it runs up in price, which um, Grow Generation did yesterday. It was at $8.56. So it runs up in price, and then it starts to pull back. So on a day chart, you can actually see when the MFI is above 70, and that's when I sell it. Mm -hmm. And then if you're buying a stock, you want to see the MFI 30 or below. It's the opposite, right? You want to see that, okay, it's oversold. It's at the low for the day when you're interested in buying a stock. Uh, and then you, you take the position at the low MFI. Does that make sense? Basically peak greed or peak fear. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Mm -hmm. I like that. Simple. It's easy. Right. I think sometimes the simpler you can make things, the better, Me the too. easier it is to follow it for sure. <laughs> That's right. And then you'll do it. Exactly. Right. Let's talk a little bit about today's markets then. Yeah. So we have a super interesting market, Kyle. I think we have a market and it just occurred to me yesterday that um, if you follow the headlines, you know, there's so much talk right now around earnings and mm -hmm. companies' earnings, uh, they're not hitting the mark anymore. And I think what's going to happen is analysts are going to revise their earnings estimates for uh, fourth quarter of this year. And then when companies start to report, but people are still spending, they're still consuming, right? That's not yeah. changing. Like I was shocked. I was almost shocked to hear that uh, Cyber Monday brought in $9.1 billion uh, in sales. Because did you hear that? And it was like, oh, I didn't hear the numbers. No, it was like the biggest, you know, Cyber Monday they've ever had. And I thought, hmm, I don't know if that's real or not. In fact, it might even be fake yeah. news. Well, you've got inflation, right? That's probably totally. inflating those numbers to start with. And then how much of that is clearances trying to liquidate inventory? Because exactly. a lot of these retailers are sitting on too much inventory. They are. They are. And, and I think, by the way, I think that's going to bring prices down in the new year. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see these prices continuing to escalate like they are. I think the Fed's going to continue to raise rates. But speaking to that, 
uh, analysts are lowering their expectations. So I think what's going to happen is when earnings start to be posted uh, for fourth quarter of this year, the end of next January, early February, we're going to start to have earnings surprises. Right. Where companies actually exceed their earnings. They don't dip below the estimates. Mm -hmm. And that's going to drive the market hugely in January. I think we're going to have a huge first, unlike this year where the first six months were brutal, we were down 35%. I think the opposite is going to hold true for next year. I think we're going to have a huge six months, first six months of the year, and then things are going to mellow out a little bit. So that's how I'm, that's really where I think uh, things are going to go is that we're going to get uh, upward surprises in earnings which as you know, that drives the prices of the equity markets higher. And uh, so people have to stay invested. There's been so much fear around this market. And I've always said markets climb walls of worry. Mm. They, they do yeah. it well. Um, it's, it, we have to be concerned when there's a capitulation and everyone says, yay, the market's going to you know 40,000. <laughs> That's when we have to get worried. <laughs> right. But, the fact that everyone's so worried about this market going down, it's going to keep going higher. So it has, I've been following it for 35 years. That's what I've seen each and every time. Yeah. It seems like the market is designed to uh, to cause the most pain for the largest group of people. That's yeah, a good way to put it. Yeah. So if everybody's thinking they want to be short in this environment, then maybe it's time to start looking at other options. Bingo. Start going long. Um, I've never shorted a stock in my life. I do buy options contracts to Mm -hmm. assist in the returns in my portfolio. So I'll sell like covered calls or sometimes I'll buy a put, but you know, when you have a a nature that's positive, like you think positively, you want your stocks to go up. Mm -hmm. I find it very difficult to buy puts or short stocks. There's nothing wrong with that. You got to work with your own personality, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, Going back to the the earnings, like even if we do see surprises, I think one of the things too that we got to pay real close attention to is how the guidance starts to shift, because that seems to be what's been driving the the moves post earnings lately. Mm-hmm. At least what I've been seeing. I'm curious your your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's you know the the equity markets are are cyclical in nature, and mm-hmm. like for example, the first quarter of this year, energy stocks did really well. And, and now they're starting to pull back and um, they pulled back in the summertime and s- September and October. And now analysts are starting to say, oh, the energy sector is back on fire. I mean, <laughs> the markets are so, it's like, so, I don't know the word, you know, emotions drive buying and selling, yes, right? Yes, yes, um, So the fact that investors are people and they have emotions, it does affect the equity prices when so many times you've probably had this experience where a company has done really, really well and their stock has been, has just tanked. Yeah. And you're like, what the heck is going on? Or a company isn't doing that well and their stock keeps going up and up and up. And that is a symptom of the narrative in the equity markets. You know, like what, what you just said, what the analysts are saying about companies, what's being touted, what's being talked about. And the saying, a rising ship, uh, rising tide raises all ships holds true. Mm -hmm. That if a certain sector is performing well, all those stocks, even if the companies aren't really executing or performing or doing well internally, their stock price will go up. Right. Is that because they're they're included in those uh, ETFs? That's that's part of it. Yeah. A lot of companies 
uh, especially the big the big names are um, most of these ETFs and mutual funds own the same companies. Right. Yeah. So the market, if we know that it's designed to go up and it's also, but think about it, at the same time, the narrative is the sky is falling, you know, stay away. Like you keep, you know, it's bizarre when Elon used to tweet. I don't know why people would buy share. This is a, a, right. not word for word, but you get the idea. Why would someone invest in shares of my company that's ridiculous at this price? And then it doubles, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're like, yeah. wow, that's a head fake right there. What's going on? So uh, it's totally manipulated these equity markets. They're actually manipulated to go up over time. And uh, as an investor, you got to know that. And the only way right now, Kyle, in my opinion, to outpace inflation is you have to buy stocks because the CDs aren't going to give you the returns that you want. As interest rates continue to rise, investment properties become more expensive Yep. and the returns aren't there as much as they are with equities. And, you know, when you invoke things like margin, you can you can put your money to work with leverage. As long as the stock goes up, you'd want to write some uh, <laughs> sells, you know, buy some puts against your position if you're doing that kind of leverage. Right. But um they're one of the best games, uh, investment strategies in town uh, than most other things. I think probably, Kyle, the other thing that might be interesting here are works of art, like fine works of art hmm. um, as an investor. Like, But other than, other than fine works of art, the equity markets over for the last hundred years, if you take any 10-year period, it's outperformed real estate, it's outperformed uh, antiques and collectibles. It's outperformed um, any most investment classes. Precious metals. There, there really hasn't been anything that's outperformed it, other than fine works of art that are uh, not always accessible for the n- normal day investor. Now, this is probably really off topic, but uh, I'm curious what the difference between the U.S. markets and, like, say, Japan where Japan has been kind of stagnating for like the last, what, 30, 40 years? Yeah, Japan had a great run in like in the 90s. It was crushing yeah. it um, where the U.S. market wasn't. U.S. market had super high interest rates, high inflation, um, and the market kind of moved sideways the whole decade. Nothing exciting happened until 2000 is when it caught fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got companies, every every country operates differently uh, in terms of their equity markets. And there are certain stipulations and requirements. Like for example, for an institution to buy shares of a company, that stock has to be over $5 a share. Yeah. So that is already going to discount a lot of companies that trade on those smaller exchanges, you know, the pink sheets, the over-the-counters, uh, things like that. Wait, and, is that why the, the requirement... Is that why that's a requirement to join some of the bigger listings like the NASDAQs or the Yes, uh, it is. It's exactly right. Okay. Okay. It's, it's a pay to play game. It's very expensive yeah. to have your company listed on the NASDAQ or the New York exchange. Um, but you have to meet and, and companies will do a split, a reverse split right. in order to get the stock to where it needs to be to trade on those exchanges because it's worth it to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So every country has certain requirements. Um, I don't know Japan's requirements for companies to trade uh, institutionally. I'm not certain of those. Um, but 
it seems the, the narrative is toward building, or it has been for the last two decades, a very strong U.S. financial economy. And, and the dollar plays a big role in this, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To keep the dollar propped up, the equity markets have to be strong. It's this interesting circle that's been created. If, if the equity markets underperform, and then if people start, I mean, it is happening already that countries are not uh, trade, that the dollar isn't the, the reserve currency anymore. Yeah. Obviously, Russia was one of the first. <laughs> we know yes. how that's playing out. China, Russia, China. So Russia and China said, "Forget it. We're not gonna. We're gonna. We're not gonna trade oil in the U.S. dollar anymore." They, but that was three years ago. They said that it's just starting to come to news now. Mm-hmm. Um, India has started as well. They said we're gonna drop the dollar. So the more and more com- countries that drop, which you know, by the way, the dollar has essentially lost ninety four percent of its value anyway. Um, mm. And that's why we're seeing inflation because the dollar is virtually worthless. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's, yeah. that doesn't sound good for U.S. markets. Doesn't no, and it's not, and yet they continue to continue to inflate it and prop it up, and they'll continue to because they have to. So, what does that mean long term then for for the U.S.? Well, there's a potential collapse of the U.S. dollar long term. Um, but I've talked to investors and they said, yeah, we've been waiting for the dollar to collapse since the seventies, you know? Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but now it's kind of getting real, isn't it? It's kind of getting real. I'm starting to see a prop up in precious metals. Gold had a nice run the other day. So did silver. So these hard assets, uh, are starting to give decent returns now where they haven't, they've been moving sideways for decades now. Um, because they've been, their prices have been suppressed. And they, yeah, they, I think I was reading about like the, was it London, like releasing a lot of their reserves and was it copper and silver to keep the prices lower? That's, that's exactly right. Even though demand has been going up. It's exactly right. That's exactly what they do. Um, It's totally manipulated, just like the equity market. So I've been telling everyone, buy some gold and silver now while it's still cheap. Hmm. And and not the bars. People are like, do I buy bar? What, what, what actually do I buy? I'm like, stay away from all the minted coins that are like the coin of the month. Like the queen now oh, right. shows up, right? Just stay away yeah. from all that garbage. It's it's like the old, um, what were those little stuffies that people, that big craze? Uh, uh, the beanie babies? The beanie babies, yeah. exactly. It's like the beanie baby of the gold and silver world. <laughs> stay away from those things. <laughs> You, you know, so you, you buy 99.99% pure. And personally, I like the coins because if, you know, gold and silver coins are the most transacted currency in the world, they're the most widely accepted. Hmm. So if it ever comes a time when, let's say we have to pay our property taxes um, ahead of the central bank digital currency, which is seems to be coming in pretty quickly here, um, maybe we can with our gold and silver coins, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, on the plus side too, a cheaper dollar usually means better um, trade for the country. A lot yeah, more uh, foreign investments because things get cheaper for them to buy products and ship them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that could have. You're right. I think industry could be coming back to the U.S. because it all went away. We all went to China. Yep. So we built China up into this amazing, uh, strong, financially strong manufacturing uh, country like never before. And 
Um, that'd be nice. I'd love to see it come back to the U.S. Really would. <laughs> any uh, any other predictions or thoughts you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap up? Um, I you know create a vision for yourself, for your family, community, whatever that looks like. Um, partner with money, use money as a resource, and uh, continue to invest. That's the most important thing right now. Is ignore the naysayers, ignore those people who are saying the sky is falling. Uh, if you need to implement some type of dollar cost average strategy, do it, right? Buy, you know, stocks are the only thing that people run from when it goes on sale. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so run to it, buy more when it's on sale. That's my best advice. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, but sadly, everybody, we've come to the end of our time with Jaden. But don't worry, there is plenty more to see at his website. You can check that out at sterlingstockpicker.com. And we've also got his book, The Alchemy of True Success. Make sure all those links are in the episode description. But for now, we have to say thank you to Jaden for taking the time to chat with us. And thanks to everyone who stuck around to the end. We'll be back at you soon with another exciting episode. But until then, bye. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Jaden. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.